Our Father, we come here this morning with various burdens and thoughts. I know some of us have come and we're excited, and some are just feeling beat down. But Lord, we're here because we love you. We're here because we want to worship you. We're here because we want to hear from your word. And we want to receive your sacrament. And so, Lord, I ask that you would meet us today. Teach us, encourage us, strengthen us. Lord, let the reality of the kingdom of God become our everyday experience as your people. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Please be seated. So we are in a series on prayer, and today we're going to cover a particular aspect of prayer that is really, really important, and as I was thinking of an analogy for this, and I'm about to give a spoiler, although at this point, if it is a spoiler, you're either a terrible Marvel fan or you're not a fan, because by now you should have seen Endgame. All right. <laughs> what is that, like 38 hours to see it four times? So, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Captain America picks up Thor's hammer. <laughs> I love that moment because I love Captain America. He's, he's been my favorite superhero for all kinds of reasons, but when he picks up that hammer and then Thor kind of gives him that look and they're like, yeah, and they're... I just love that whole scene because nobody's supposed to pick up Thor's hammer unless what? You're worthy. That's right. Unless you're worthy. So there's like this one key thing that lets you lift that hammer. And no matter what else is in place, however strong you are, whatever rocket boosters Iron Man is trying to use to lift that thing in the second Avengers movie, doesn't matter. You got to be worthy. That's what allows you to pick up that hammer. I want to tell you there is one key to faith. I just said that wrong. Everybody know what the key is now? There is one key to prayer. It is? Um, so think of it like this. Last week, I was talking about the idea of Jesus being at the door already. Uh, that in prayer, we are not trying to coax God into listening or doing things. We're not trying to somehow we got to win him over or debate him. That he actually wants to hear from his children. But there is a way to unlock that door. And you don't even have to open the door. He'll even do that. But there is something to unlock it with, and it is faith. And there's something you see in the Gospels. Jesus goes into his hometown, and he cannot perform miracles because they don't believe. Peter's walking on the water, and he's doing great until he stops believing, and then he sinks. Faith is the key to prayer. That's what I want to talk about this morning. If you would, open your Bible to, Luke, uh, sorry, to Mark chapter 11. 
And I have a single sentence that I'm going to give you today, and I'm going to unpack the sentence. I'll add to it with each point. Here's the first point. Faith is enough. Here's what that means. So this scene with the fig tree, it's an odd scene. And I'm going to describe the scene to you because the background will help you understand why I'm saying faith is enough, and it will help you understand what Jesus is doing. Because one of the things you have to ask yourself is, does Jesus have an issue with fig trees? Because when he comes up to this tree in the first place, Mark actually tells us it's not in season for figs. And yet Jesus is like, how dare you not have fruit? And he curses it. I think, well, that's super unfair. I mean, like, the tree's not actually in season to have figs. Of course it's not going to have figs right now, Jesus. What's wrong with you? So he curses this tree. But then he goes from that point, and he goes into the temple, and he begins to overturn tables, and he makes a whip, and he gets people out of the temple. He's driving them out of the temple. Well, then the next day, they walk up to the fig tree again, and Peter's like, Wow! It actually worked. This thing's dead. And Jesus goes, have faith in God. And then he gives a bunch of really weird stuff that we're going to deal with. I chose this passage because I think it's one of the hardest passages in Scripture when you talk about prayer. As long as you believe, it's yours. Is that really what's going on here? But I want to deal with this passage because we need to. All right, so fig tree doesn't have leaves. He curses it. He goes into the temple, he drives everybody out, he comes back to the thing, Peter's amazed, and Jesus goes, have faith in God. What in the world is going on? Mark's comment that it's not the season for figs is meant to tell you something. You know, have you ever lost track of a day? Have you ever been like, oh my goodness, it's Wednesday? How did that happen? Have you ever lost track of a season? No, and neither did Jesus. It wasn't like he went, Oh, wow, we're not in spring? Oh, that's weird. I thought we were in a different season. That's not what happened. Jesus is with this fig tree. He is acting out a parable that he is about to do in the temple. The temple is not a cleansing. And I know your title probably says that, cleansing of the temple. It is not a cleansing. It's a judgment. He is coming into the people that should have had what? Fruit. They should have had fruit. They should have responded to their Messiah. And instead, parable after parable, he's showing their judgment because they've rejected their Messiah. And when he comes in and he begins overturning these things, this isn't just like, I'm going to make this clean. Right, so here's what's happening. They are making sacrifices, and those sacrifices are supposed to be cleansing their sin, and they need these money changers because people are coming from all over the place, and you can't take your perfect lamb from 80 miles away and make your big journey and hope that lamb's still going to be perfect by the time you get to the temple. No, you come in and you buy a lamb, but he says this, you're a den of robbers. Now, if you go back into Jeremiah where he quotes that from, Here's what he just said about them. The temple has become a hideout for bad people, for revolutionaries against God. That term robber is the same thing Barabbas is. Revolutionaries, people who are doing their own thing and thinking, as long as I'm in the temple, I'm good. 
As long as I have the temple, things will be fine. And in Jeremiah, he's saying, like, you are stealing and cheating, and you were doing all these awful things, but you think as long as you just come into the temple, it's good? The temple has actually become the home of people working against God. Jesus is saying the same thing is happening. And when he starts turning those tables over, what is he doing? He is disrupting their ability to do what the temple is doing. You can't make a lot of sacrifices if you can't sell the animals. He's disrupting the whole thing to say, no, there should have been fruit here. You should have accepted your Messiah. You have not. And then he goes out. And then they come to the fig tree. And Peter goes, whoa! And Jesus says, have faith in God. Here is what he's getting at. And here's why this teaching on prayer fits right there, because it looks out of place. Like fig tree, temple, fig tree, and teaching on prayer? Here's why he says, have faith in God. Let me say it a different way. You don't need the temple. Yes, the temple is being judged and ultimately it's going to be destroyed. But you do not need the temple to come to God. You do not need the temple to pray. What you need is faith. You don't need a particular pastor to pray. What you need is faith. There's nothing that stands between you and God. No building, no religious person. What you need is faith. And that is enough. And so when he says the first response to them, have faith in God, you're right. They wouldn't have completely put that together at that point. But they will. As the temple is judged and as it's destroyed and you can no longer go to the holy place. Oh, do you remember the woman that he's talking to? And they talk about where you're supposed to worship God? No, it's not on a particular mountain. It's in spirit and truth. There's a very consistent message in Jesus. It's faith that matters. Faith is enough. Um, So I learned something in having children that became very helpful, and I wish I would have figured it out earlier. Um, When a child gets a boo-boo, and it really doesn't matter what size the boo-boo is, because depending on their age, that boo-boo is as if a limb has been chopped off. Little cut, lost an arm. They're screaming and everything else. One thing makes it all better, at least for my kids. Get a Band-Aid and put the Band-Aid on it. And all of a sudden, it's okay. One of my children was walking around with three Band-Aids on him the other day. <laughs> like he had taken his shirt off and he had Band-Aid here and a Band-Aid here and a Band-Aid. And like, oh my goodness, what's happened to my kid? It looks like he's been through war. But the Band-Aid, suddenly, the waterworks turn off and everything is okay. But the Band-Aid doesn't do anything. (laughs) That Band-Aid doesn't actually make the boo-boo go away. Like, it didn't change how he was feeling. In fact, honestly, what is it like when you have a cut and you put a Band-Aid on it? It kind of hurts a little bit at times, depending on the cut, because the Band-Aid actually hits the cut. But no, it makes it all go away. It's all great. You don't need the Band-Aid. You don't need the temple. You don't need a particular pastor. You don't need anything but faith in God to pray. That's it. Faith is enough. And not only is it enough, a little faith is enough. Just a little bit. A little bit of faith is enough. So how much does it take? I mean, how much faith do you really got to have? Because, I mean, we talk about 
You know, I had a bunch of faith or I've got all these people that are praying for me or, I mean, how much faith does it actually take? And here's the image that came to my mind. It's as if at times we think like we're spiritual weightlifters. And if I come in and I pray and I could lift a 10 pound weight, that might get God's attention. But I think this particular thing that's going on in my life, it's gonna take a 100 pound weight because it's big. And in fact, I've got this other really giant thing. It's gonna probably take more than I can lift, so I need to get a bunch of other people to help me lift it. And we need more and more faith, and that will make God hear us better. It doesn't work that way. A little bit of faith is enough. I'm gonna give you two examples. There's a story of a a father whose son is demon-possessed. And his, the Jesus' disciples cannot cast the demon out of this boy. And so they come to Jesus, and he makes this proclamation, Oh, you faithless generation. And then the father says, you know, can you do this if it's possible? And Jesus says, if it's possible, just believe. And so the father says this, I believe, help my unbelief. That is not like a gun-ho, I've got everything under control, and like I just totally 100% believe this is going to happen. This is a guy going, I do believe, but I don't believe. I do believe, but I don't believe. I just, I want to believe. I do, but it's so hard. And And you know what happens next? It's enough. Jesus cast the demon out of the kid. That's how much faith it took. I do believe, but I need a lot of help because I only kind of believe. That's all it took. In Matthew's version of the same story, Jesus uses this explanation. You need faith the size of a mustard seed. It's really small. That's it. You don't need like the size of an apple or a cantaloupe. You don't need the weight of a bowling ball. You need the size of a mustard seed. That's how much faith it takes. And with that much faith, and I'll come back to this in a moment, you can throw mountains around. A little bit of faith is enough. And I'm gonna give you a real life example of that. This comes from the autobiography of Corrie Ten Boom. She was in a Nazi concentration camp where her sister Betsy was with her and her sister died in the concentration camp. And following her experience, she began traveling around preaching on God's forgiveness. And she writes this in her autobiography. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray coat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, two and a half years after she got her freedom. And I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives And that's when I saw him working his way forward against others. One moment I saw the overcoat, the brown hat, the next, the blue uniform, and the visored cap with the skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with the harsh overhead lights, a pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, and the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, her ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, you were so thin. 
Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been a guard at the concentration camp where we were sent. The man had walked up to her. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. He didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that I stood there, his hand held out. But to me, it seemed like I wrestled for hours with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And I just stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you have to supply the rest. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former God, former guard, and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. A little bit of faith is enough. Jesus, help me. Reach out my hand, it's all I can do. A little bit of faith is enough. He's never asked you to have a mountain of faith to move a mustard seed, but to have a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain. And God actually does respond. A little bit of faith is enough. All right. Now I want to deal with the challenges of this passage. So faith is enough. A little bit of faith is enough. We can struggle in our faith. We can actually say to God, God, I need more faith. God, help me with my unbelief. And he responds to that. But a little bit of faith is enough when it is directed rightly. And this is the issue. And part of what I'm about to say, initially, I would not blame you if you went, that's kind of a cop-out. 
you're not really dealing well with that passage. You're not taking it literally. I would not blame you for that. But I want you to hear me completely out, right? A little bit of faith is enough when directed rightly. All right, so to do that, um, I want to look briefly here at this passage back in, in Mark where it says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So if we just ask this question, I think everybody may be able to answer the question. Do you think we're all getting the power to hurl mountains around? No. Yeah, this is like, I know people are going to say, yeah, but we've got to take the Bible literally, or you're... You know, you're too liberal or you're something. And if you take this literally, you're going to have some issues, right? If I say to you, um, I have read this book a million times. Does anybody think for a moment I've actually read that book a million times? No. If I say to you, it is hotter than hell out here. Do any of you actually think that the lake of fire is the same temperature? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's Texas. It's kind of close. Um, we have a lot of what is called hyperbole, right? Same thing is happening right here. Because I can just let you know, if believers could all hurl mountains around, we'd have significant issues with earthquakes and other things. Um, so let me show you what he, the directed faith. Jesus said it, have faith in God. Last week, we read the Hebrews 11 passage that said, you have to believe that he exists if you want him to respond to you. You've got to have faith. Right? But notice where it's directed. This is the first part of the direction. It's directed toward believing God not believing my words, my prayer, my faith, or whatever else. It's not about muscling up. Okay, God, I am really, really going to believe that this can happen. It is about believing that he can do what I'm asking. It's always directed toward him. It goes back to the same thing we talked about before. There is no power in prayer. There is power in God. And that is distinct. Your prayer doesn't accomplish anything in terms of what effect happens. God does that. If our prayers could do it, they'd be like magic. Same thing is true here. You're not believing in your prayer. You're not trying to, to somehow get enough faith to believe that the thing that you are wanting is, you're believing God can do those things. Okay, that's the first part. Here's the second part. I want to read from 1 John this is 1 John chapter 5, and he is very, very specific here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know, we have the, um, we know that the requests that we have asked of him we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Sorry, got confused there. Let me read it again. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
We have never been given a carte blanche. Whatever you want. You know, God, I'd like this chair to be green, and I believe it will be green. Ah, dang it, it's still blue. I wonder what happened. I'll tell you what happened. I didn't have enough faith. No. But that's exactly where it goes a lot of times. If I just believed, I'll tell you why it didn't turn to green. God doesn't want that chair green. Apparently, he wants it to stay blue right now. You have to be within what God wills when he answers. And let me just show you two examples. Does anybody have any questions about the faith of the Apostle Paul? I mean, the guy who was beaten and starved and shipwrecked, he was stoned. And yet, he just kept preaching the gospel and writing epistles for us. And, and yet, at one point, he said, God, take this thorn away from me. And God didn't take it. Is that because Paul didn't have enough faith? I mean, I, I, I'd be real hesitant to go there. Like, watching his life, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of moments where Paul is doubting much. But he doesn't take it away. What does he do? He answers Paul according to his will and according to what is best for Paul, as hard as that may be. He says, Paul, no, you're going to keep that. My grace is going to be sufficient for you right now. That's what I want for your life. All right, if Paul's not enough for you, how about Jesus? Anybody have any doubt in the faith of Jesus? And yet Jesus came and said, take this cup from me. Do you think the cup wasn't taken because he didn't have enough faith? It was not God's will to take that cup. It was God's will that Jesus take that cup. So what did he do? He strengthened him. In fact, he sent angels to him, according to Luke's account. But he had to take the cup still. Because when we pray and we're asking for things, a little faith is enough when rightly directed. It does not take a spiritual giant, but it does take going the right direction. Because God is not going to give you those things that would hurt you, that would hurt others, that would ruin his plan or stand in the way of his plan or get in the way of what he's trying to accomplish. And we need to hear this, and I hate to say it because it's kind of harsh. I've said it before, and I'm gonna say it again. God does care more about your holiness than your happiness. And it's always been that way. Because can I tell you something? You have eternity of happiness coming. The Apostle Paul is also the one who said our groaning, our longing, our suffering today cannot compare to the glory that is to come. And for a man who went through what he went through, he has a right to say that. Because happiness, joy, all of it, you may struggle right now and I get it, but holiness is his primary concern right now, not happiness. Now the two are not mutually exclusive all the time. I mean, I really hope that whatever you're going through, there are moments of happiness in your life, no matter how bad they get. But God answers prayer according to his will. Now, here's the other thing you need to hear, though. 
please don't let that stop you from praying. Because here's what I've seen people do. God's just gonna do whatever he wants anyway. That didn't stop Paul. That didn't stop Jesus. We still need to be asking because guess what? Most of the time, do you know exactly what God's will is in that situation? No. Because if you did, what would you be asking? What his will is. So we still need to ask, even when we don't exactly know his will. Because that's the model that we have and because God wants to hear from us. And then let me go back to my very first week. The heart of prayer is this. An intimate address to my father. At its core, I am talking to my father. I'm sharing my life. I'm sharing my dreams. I'm sharing my struggles. And within that, sometimes I'm saying, God, I need help here. God, will you take care of that? But my prayer life is not meant to be just Let me ask for one thing after another after another. It's meant to be, God, here's what's going on in my life. God, you're amazing. God, thank you for these things in my life. God, thank you for all these people who help set up every morning, this church. But when it comes to the petition, a little faith is enough when it's rightly directed. Um. nobody hearing this would have been thinking about hurling mountains and they wouldn't have been thinking that as long as I just want it badly enough, God's going to do it because they had a very good idea of the sovereignty of God. They would have understood Jesus here saying essentially this, a little faith is enough when it's rightly directed. All right. Getting ready for Endgame, I rewatched all the other Marvel movies. At least most of them. I would have watched all of them, but my family, most of my family didn't want to do that. So I don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with my family. Why would you not want to watch 21 movies leading up to number 22? I mean, come on. Um, So, but in watching the second Avengers, I saw some or something stood out to me, especially after then watching Endgame, that didn't really stand out the first time. They're at the party, got all the heroes all around the table, this, this coffee table, and Thor's hammer is sitting on the coffee table. And they're all taking turns trying to lift that hammer. <laughs> and at one point, Captain America gets a hold of the handle, and Thor is over there with this smug look on his face. He's sitting on the couch, and he's like, yeah, nobody can do my hammer. It's so awesome. I'm amazing. And, and Thor's got issues with pride, which is, you know, the whole Thor theme throughout all three of them, actually. And... Uh, Captain America grabs a hold of it, and it budges. If you don't remember it, go watch it. Just go look up it on YouTube. It just budges. And Thor, his eyes go, for a moment. And then Captain America's like, and he can't lift it. And Thor's like, oh. Like, you know, maybe a god missed something. Maybe that didn't actually happen. It kind of got by him. Um, the directors addressed that scene. And, you know, fans are trying to address it. And there were two dominant theories that were out there. One theory was he could kind of move it because he was kind of worthy, almost worthy, but because he was holding a secret in and he didn't tell Iron Man what happened to his parents, that he had a little bit of mixture in him. He wasn't completely worthy. And so he could only budget a little bit. Here's the problem. Too many of us think of prayer that way. 
The reason God's not answering my prayer is because I got a little bit of sin in my life or a lot of sin in my life or I haven't prayed enough or I haven't read my Bible enough or I haven't been to church enough or I haven't done these things. Otherwise, he would. And so maybe it's a little budget. That's not how prayer works. He's your father who wants to hear from you and it takes a little bit of faith just directed the right way. And guess what? You're always, until we get a new body, until we are resurrected and there's a new heavens and a new earth and everything is redeemed, you're always going to have a little bit of stuff in you. That's not how prayer works. Now the directors came out and said, they always knew that Captain America could wield this hammer. They just weren't sure when exactly it was gonna happen, how it was gonna happen, but when that happened, they said, Captain America knew about Thor's ego. And he was so worthy that he then pretended that he couldn't lift it for the sake of Thor. Talk about consistency of character. The only person who has that is Jesus. Trust him because he's made you worthy. He's made you completely worthy. Trust him and then come to your father and pray. Father, we're so grateful that you want a relationship with us. That as the God and creator and king of the universe, you want a relationship with us. Lord, as we continue to talk through prayer, I would ask that each one of us would grow in our understanding of prayer, but even more in our practice of prayer. That we would find more and more that we take some time to sit with you, to share our life, to share our feelings and our hopes and our dreams and our struggles to ask you for those things that we know that we need in our lives. And Lord, that we would know that as our Father, you're listening. In Jesus' name, amen.